Welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed. This episode of the Aquarius Podcast is sponsored by Awaza, the global leader in water gardening technology. Awaza is a relatively new entrant into the indoor aquatic space, and they're doing all us hobbies a favor by stepping into an already competitive market and raising the bar with excellent products that have innovative features. One of the coolest features to the Awaza line of power filters is seamless built-in heater integration. So if you've been looking for a way to step up your aquarium filtration and hide your heater without going the sump route, then I highly recommend you check out Awaza's Biomaster canister filters and BioPlus internal filters. That's Biomaster canister filters and BioPlus internal filters. Learn more by checking out awaza-livingwater.com. That's O-A-S-E-livingwater.com. I will also have this link in the show notes for quick access. Now, on to the interview. Today's date is Friday, January 4th, 2019. My guest today is Caitlin LeClerg. Caitlin is a product manager with Awaza with responsibilities over the indoor aquatics and bio-orb lines for North America. In addition to her experience in the industry with Awaza, Caitlin's professional experience seems to have always involved marine environments and the inhabitants living within. It is no surprise that Caitlin majored in biology and marine science for her bachelor's in science degree. So Caitlin, welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. Thanks for having me. No, absolutely. And thank you to Awaza for volunteering you to uh, come on the podcast and talk about their <laughs> wonderful product. So uh, I'm always very excited when I have major brands come on the show. It's only happened a couple times now. And so uh, very thankful to you for your time and also for Awaza for letting you come on. We're happy to be here. All right, Caitlin. So let's start with your origin story. I think yours is going to be very, very unique compared to some of the other <laughs> guests that I've had. And um, while it isn't necessarily deeply rooted in the freshwater, I think it's it's going to be super cool. Like I don't know the full backstory. I know bits and pieces, uh, but I'm definitely more excited to, or I'm definitely excited to dig into it a bit more. So um, maybe if you want to start with, I don't know, maybe some of your f- earliest memories with with fish keeping, and then kind of segue into your how that got you into your educational experience. Sure. Yeah. I've just, um, I've always kind of been drawn to the ocean and I loved all the wildlife that seemed to happen within there. And I just was kind of always curious to, to learn more. I remember we had a, a tank growing up and that always kind of helped pique my curiosity. Lots of trips to the beach and looking at tide pools. And it just kind of seemed like a natural thing to major in marine science when I finally got to college and from then it just kind of went off and continued my career in it. As a kid, do you remember, were you, did you have freshwater tanks or were they saltwater? At home, we had freshwater tanks. It, it, was, uh, it was pretty low maintenance, but it was enough to still get me uh, excited about learning more about fish in the ocean. But started off with freshwater. Nice. Do you recall maybe what, what kind of tank you had or how many tanks you had as a family? Yeah, we had a pretty big, around like a 100-gallon tank in our living room that was filled with just bunch of fish. We had bala sharks and algae eaters and taiga barbs and all sorts of things. I was pretty young, so I don't remember everyone that was in there, but it was enough that I started asking to uh, get sent to the ocean more so I could learn about things. Oh, awesome. Very cool. And so did you grow up like having your own little five-gallon tank in your room or anything like that with the, with the rainbow-colored gravel or any stuff like that? No, it was more uh, I was just helping out with that tank. Um, I just kind of got really curious about that. So I was the one that kind of started taking care of it the most in the family. And from, from there it went off and I actually left it when I went off to school there. And then of course, after I left, uh, it turns out maybe the rest of my family wasn't as interested in the freshwater tank as me. So oh, no. actually, got moved to a Fred's house. Oh, no. Now, I, it, I'm guessing then that you weren't like my family when it came to our maintenance schedule. 
which was the <laughs> once a year annual take all the fish out of the tank into a bucket, drain the tank 100%, and then fill it back up with uh, hose water and then dump all the fish back in. That wasn't your, your maintenance schedule, I'm guessing. No, that wasn't, that wasn't <laughs> our annual routine. <laughs> it was so bad. And, and I've gone back and I've talked to people about that, uh, just about how you know the silly things that we did you know, I grew up in the, the 80s, early 90s, and, you know, we, we always point to, well, the internet wasn't around, and YouTube wasn't around, and I've got, um, I think I picked it up at either an auction or, um, where did I get it? Or maybe the thrift store. I like to go book shopping at thrift stores, and it's an old Tropical Fish Aquarium book, and I think it was published in late 70s, early 80s, but it has all the good information that basically tells you not to do those kinds of things, and we always say, oh, the information wasn't around. Well, it was around, it's just we weren't Really, we just really weren't seeking it out, and maybe back then, you know, dropping fifty dollars on a tropical fish book, because um, I think you know, full color, large, you know, kind of large volume. I don't think that was in the family budget, um, or just going to the library and you know, hoping you get that one copy of the tropical fish book if they even had it at my small town library. So, I mean, the info was there. I guess we just weren't. You know, it just wasn't being presented to us. And I, I would really like to jump back in a time machine and see, you know, how those mall fish stores or the mall pet stores, if you will, how they were telling us to keep our fish tanks. Um, I don't know, maybe somebody, if you worked at a mall fish store back in the 90s, like write me an email and say, Randy, you're ridiculous. We did tell you how to properly take care of it. You just didn't pay <laughs> just attention weren't. to anybody. And it took people going on YouTube telling you how to take care of a fish tank to actually, you know, properly take care of a fish tank. But obviously, people have been keeping fish and being very, very successful for a super long time. So I'm just trying to figure out what happened in that in that time period. Maybe it was just me and my family. I don't know. Yeah, I think we, I mean, I had to get the information from books. I remember reading books, and that was how I learned about <laughs> how to keep the fish because it wasn't anything like, oh, well, I'm just going to go Google this real quick. So... Yeah, I remember I remember renting books from the library to <laughs> to try to make sure that we could have a healthy and thriving fish tank. Oh man, well I'm going to go back and I'm I'm going to use my dad as a scapegoat and say, "Dad, why why weren't <laughs> we reading books? What's going on, man? I know we had the encyclopedias lined up in one of our bookcases." Uh, that was good times. All right, so so you're in college now, right? And you are um, you know that you love marine life and and all of that good stuff. So, um, can you kind of give me like a 35,000 foot 35,000 foot level overview of your collegiate experience and how, you know, some of those courses or elements have prepared you for your professional experience or career yeah, rather. Sure. I, uh, I, I ended up double majoring, um, in marine science and biology and I chose marine science specifically, um, because it's actually all four branches of oceanography and not just marine biology, which was really important to me. So by, and what, Major those, and what would those four, four branches be, I guess? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's physical oceanography, uh, marine biology, marine geology, and marine chemistry. So I got a nice rounded education with all branches of oceanography, which was what I really wanted, even though I've always been more interested in the biological aspect of, of pretty much everything. Oh, very cool. And so then let's, let's talk... Uh, coming out of college, uh, what are some of your first jobs then that are really leveraging your your educational experience? Uh, coming out of college, I worked for, well, I worked for a couple of years in college um, for a uh, whale watching and uh, marine mammal stranding in Bar Harbor, Maine. 
Um, worked in an aquarium for a while. And then my first job right out of college was uh, in the Keys, actually, teaching and marine science and captaining boats and going diving. So I can't really imagine a, a better first job than that and just kind of went off from there. Wait, you actually got to captain the boat too? Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. And you left that job? I did. I did. It's uh, The Keys are great and I loved what I was doing and I loved being near the ocean the, uh, all the time. But there's also only so much you can do in the keys for so long. So it seems <laughs> like it was, <laughs> it was, it was time to try something else. Isn't it just like sitting by the beach, sipping on pina coladas? Like, isn't that what you do? Oh, it was great. It just kind of <laughs> felt like I was already retired and I had just graduated. <laughs> so. Oh, you're doing, the, I feel like you're doing this wrong, Caitlin. We need to go back in the time <laughs> maybe, machine. Maybe. Right, so let's, let's go back up to uh, super tropical Maine, right? So you're doing whale watching in the, uh, in the tropics of Maine, Bar Harbor. Uh, what That's are some, right. yeah, I'm being very sarcastic for those of you that don't know uh, Maine. There is an international audience. Maine can, no, it's beautiful in the summertime. Yeah. It's just, Incredi no, it, it, incredibly it was cold wonderful winters. in the summertime. It's just as soon as the summertime was over, I was very much ready to leave. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Sam Rutka, one of the guests on this show, Captain Duckweed, he's uh, he's out of Maine, so we'll have to have to oh, tease nice. him a little bit about that. Um, so what are some, I don't know, I feel like you've got to have one or two really awesome stories from your time uh, doing whale watching, maybe of the whales or of the guests or, or what are, what are, what's like one or two good stories? I mean, there are a lot of good ones. I mean, one of the things that stands out to me, which was a very selfish memory, and I actually remember I was really nervous. It was my first time uh, working as naturalist, which basically just meant I narrated the majority of about a three-hour venture out to go see the whales. And I had been on plenty of the trips before working crew or uh, research with photo identification or even working in the galley just to get used to being on a a boat and working with everyone. Um, so this was my first kind of real science related job and I was really excited, didn't wanna didn't want to mess anything up. And of course, maybe 30 minutes into watching, we see uh, a North Atlantic right whale, which they are extremely rare. And I had never seen one in all my times out doing the whale watches. And I got so distracted, I completely forgot that I was narrating and was supposed to be pointing this out to the 500 people on the boat. And I just kind of sat and watched the whale for maybe about 10 minutes or so before I remembered I had to point it out to everyone else. That is great. <laughs> Did anybody come up to you on the crew and like tug on your shirt and say, Caitlin, you're supposed to talk? Yeah, the, the captain ended up getting on the uh, the speaker and reminded me very nicely that I needed to not only admire what I was seeing, but maybe uh, point it out to the rest of the crew and, and the passengers. So that was probably the best way to handle that. <laughs> I, I feel like everybody's first time doing that, like has to be, so everybody has to have a similar experience. Like if you've been the naturalist on one of those boats to just be so odd that you know, you potentially forget, or even if you've been doing it for a while and all of a sudden you see something that is just super rare, like that's gotta be, you know, that has to be something more common, right? Right. And I, I, I did, I did get told by many people that it wasn't the first time something like that had happened. So luckily I, I didn't feel too bad about it. <laughs> and it probably wasn't the last time that happened for me either. So everyone, everyone's pretty okay with it that they get to see whales. So no one, no one's too mad. I think sometimes people just like to see it without hearing me talking about it too. So it works out for everyone. Yeah, very nice. All right, and so then um, I'm looking here at your, you know, what your educational profile or your professional experience profile, um, and it talked about so when you were in the West, or I'm sorry, when you're in Jamaica, 
Uh, very cool. You design and execute your own research in damselfish territory. Yeah, that was for my um, my undergrad thesis when I was working uh, with coral reef ecology, which has always been one of my, my favorite studies. So I spent some time in uh, Jamaica working on my undergrad thesis, which was specifically with damselfish territoriality. Um, and I assisted with a couple other projects, probably the favorite thing that I got to do was helping with the, um, the invasive lion, the lionfish, uh, research while I was there. That's been something that I've always enjoyed. And so I guess the lionfish to pivot to that, um, how has the, the control efforts been on the lionfish population? Um, cause don't they actually in Florida, they have a bounty on them, right? Like if you go out and spearfish them, there's either a bounty or it's like, Hey, go get these lionfish because they're delicious in fish tacos. That's the thing. They they are delicious, and that's been probably the most efficient control so far. They've tried a lot of other things. There's so much research right now going into like what their natural predators are and uh, what could maybe contain them in an area, but they're just so adaptive, and they haven't found really anything that goes after them as prey. So for the most part, what they're doing now is just more uh, awareness and education and telling people that they taste great because really the best way and the only way that <clears throat> I've seen works the best so far is just manually extracting them so by either catching or spearing them. So, And, you know, that's great because they do taste great. <laughs> I've never – I love a good fish taco and I've never had a lionfish fish taco. So uh, maybe, when, nice. maybe in – I don't know, dude, this is – You'll have to uh, send me a good recommendation in Orlando when I'm there for Global Pet Expo in March of a joint that does good uh, lionfish tacos, if there's even one in Orlando that does that. I'll look around. There's 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 a few places near me, and there's plenty of places in the Keys, but there 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 may be some options in Orlando. I'll have to give that a look. Awesome. And so it seems like not even in just like the Marine Keys, Florida area. It's not just in the ocean that there's invasive species, but Florida deals with uh, the invasive iguanas. Um, is it, it? It's a python, right? It's not the boa constrictor. It's an actual python that's invasive. Oh yeah, it's got the the pythons. Um, Everglades, Florida. Florida's a haven for many invasive species. It's just too nice, right? <laughs> Everyone wants to come here. <laughs> and then let's talk lastly about um, your work with turtles, because that sounds super cool before we um, jump into your Awaza experience. Sure. Um, I lived in Costa Rica briefly, and I lived on the uh, Proquire Reserve. Um, and I was very fortunate working with an organization that allowed me to research and work with uh, leatherback sea turtles. <clears throat> and they're actually the most uh, endangered species of sea turtles. So it was absolutely amazing to be able to work with them and learn so much about them and just be in awe of their general size and largeness because it's pretty crazy to walk up to a leatherback sea turtle that's coming up onto the beach. So when we watch like Planet Earth or Blue Ocean or those shows or whatnot, and, and maybe not those ones, but just any educational show about animals and, and the sea turtles in particular, and you get to see these researchers actually interacting with the turtles or being very, very close, like you were one of those people that we get to be jealous of, right? <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't think I'm, I'm worthy of jealousy, but <laughs> I've been pretty lucky in, in some of the things I've gotten to do just being interested in marine science, so it's... It's brought me to some pretty awesome places and allowed me to do some pretty cool things. So yeah, I'm so, super fortunate. So then how are we doing then with the leatherback sea turtles? I mean, is their population, are we on an increase or is it still kind of holding steady or are we on a decrease? Like, is there any good, you know, positive notes coming out of your time there? <laughs> um, when I was there, it was the, 
the population had been kind of on a gradual decline, but in the past couple of years, it had steadied out. So there wasn't a lot of growth happening yet, but it had also kind of leveled out, which in its own is a, is a win. So as long as we can keep on doing things to, to help the ocean, keep plastic out of it and whatever else, then I think they could, they could slowly make their, uh, their way back. What, what do you think is the most detrimental um, thing happening to the, to the, their population? Like what's the one, um, right. I mean, plastic pollution is huge with anything, but also with turtles specifically, um, there's a pretty big poacher problem in, in places too. So that's a huge problem. And also just the, the amount, what we got to learn when we were dealing with the sea turtle nest there is there's when you have the, usually you already have a small ratio of fertile versus unfertile eggs. And then the amount of eggs that actually hatch, the amount of babies that actually get to the ocean, and then the amount that can actually survive their first few weeks in, in the ocean without immediately getting eaten. It's a really small uh, number of turtles that's coming out from that. So that's a huge thing as well. So it seems like hatchling releases being able to, you know, while the, the, um, hatching is happening, right? They're coming up out of the sand, they're making their way towards the water. And we've seen the videos where the right. seagulls and all the other various critters come and pick them off. You're one of the volunteers helping to pick those guys up and put them in the bucket, right? And so you're trying to get as many of them as possible. Is that, would that be a true statement? Yeah, what we did there, it, it was a couple of different things. Sometimes we would just uh, stake the nests so we could observe them and keep an eye on them and then be there to help out uh, when the hatching was actually happening, whether it was shooing poachers, panthers, and seagulls away while the, the sea turtles were making it to the beach or whether we were making sure that there were no lights or obstructions on the beach so the sea turtles didn't con con get confused during their orientation back to the ocean. We were, we were there to help with whatever way we could. Now, is there any? Uh, maybe this would mess too much, too uh, mess up too much with their early development. But is there anything that we could do in terms of raising them in an indoor environment for the first part of their life until they get to a sizable uh, size, if you will, and then release them? Or is that just you know we we haven't done the research in that respect? Um, that's been that's been done as as well too. That just involves a much more kind of controlled environment um, with good facility and an area for the turtles and everything. Cause you can release them after, after raising them for a bit, especially if for whatever reason, they don't think that it looks like a, a healthy bunch of eggs and, and they're worried about them being released by themselves. But more of what we did was just making sure that when they did have the chance to make it to the ocean, that we could, we could help them make it there safely and make sure that nothing else was in the way. Now I want to go back and make sure that I call this out. You said shooing away Panthers. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know many people that have said they've shooed away a panther before. <laughs> yeah, so that that was that was one of the things in Costa Rica was, uh, and we were we were warned about it because we would do these these walks every night to patrol the beach, and it was maybe like a, a fifteen mile stretch of beach or so, and they did tell us that we could come across both poachers and panthers during our our nightly walks to look for sea turtle nests or sea turtles uh, coming up on the beach to lay a nest. So that was just something you, you kind of got used to. And luckily, I didn't see too much of it. I did come across a panther one night. But uh, once it saw me, it just kind of scooted off. And there was, uh, there was no issue. 
Oh, wow. I mean, I still remember when I was in uh, Pennsylvania for work and uh, one of the managers took me out. We did fly fishing and we weren't too far from an urban area, but we were fly fishing in the river and we were walking back to the vehicle and a, um, a black bear had swam across the river and climbed up the embankment and was like right in front of us, maybe, I don't know, 30 yards. And with a black bear, you're supposed to, you know, get big and make noise, right? That's right. the exact opposite of what we did. Like we just got, we were just so shocked. We got quiet. We just stood there. And the bear looked at us dripping wet and thank God he was just scared of us. So he took off <laughs> up the embankment, but we did the exact opposite of what you were supposed to do in a black bear encounter. So I am well, sometimes uh, you're just so startled. You, there's, there's nothing you can do to react, but just stand there and watch. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was wild. All right. So let's, so now let's talk about the people listening to this are like, where are we going with this episode? I don't know, but hopefully, hopefully what we've built up is that Caitlin has serious street cred, like educational, professional experience, dealing with the water, dealing with animals. And so now we're going to talk about your time with Awaza. Sounds good. And so what was your first role with Awaza? Uh, I actually started here in um, customer service. And once they kind of realized that I knew around my, my, my way around water, they it just kind of escalated from there until I started um, the first – kind of water job that I took on here was uh, I worked with our lake management department as an environmental biologist and just helped if there were ever any issues or questions about uh, water quality. I helped with different uh, environmental assessments and testing. So that was kind of my first my first big water job with, with Awaza. So when I think of Awaza and the work that you guys do in the water garden category, I'm thinking of koi ponds and, you know, like suburban home um, pond setups or maybe a, a hotel pond setup or some, something very controlled. And you said lake. So you're consulting on <laughs> lake projects? Yeah. So that was, that was with lake management, which was happened a little bit earlier down the road, but everything you're saying, that's, that's what I was helping for when I was a specialist and customer service rep was everything, uh, dealing with backyard water gardens and ponds, which Oaza is, is most known for their, for their water gardening products. Oh, interesting. And so let's talk about your time then consulting um, in in this you know pre intro section of the show before we really started recording. You and I talked about um, filtration, right? And you had made a comment that, and this is in your opinion, but I think it's very valid, and I'd love to hear you uh, you know detail it a little bit more. But the Awaza is a German company, um, and you had said that Germans place kind of a different emphasis on filtration than we do here in the States. So if you want to, you know, kind of develop that thought out a little bit more for us. Yeah, uh, I just personally, I think that filtration is seen uh, very, very different in Germany and not only Germany, but in in Europe than it is in the U.S. Um, just where, and it also happens to be the same opinion as my own, but in Germany, the filtration and the filter on your pond is the real focal point and the most important equipment that you can put on your pond. Um, in the U.S., filtration is seen and it's it's known that it's needed, but it's not always seen as the most important part um, and that you really need it. I think in the U.S., it's maybe a little bit more exciting to go after horsepower and uh, and uh, quantity and, over quality so yeah, and so when we say horsepower we're talking just like gallons per hour you know the the x factor of how much we're turning the water over in a given hour right 
Yes. And so what yes. and so what would be some elements then like <clears throat> if a German if a German is setting up a water garden versus an American is setting up the water garden um what kind of elements are they putting into their filtration or what are they looking at in particular and please feel free to uh, like relate it to some Owaza water garden products um you know you you volunteered your time to come on the show Owaza is a proud sponsor of this podcast now so I want you to talk about some of the products in particular um but what would a German do in in relation to what an American would do? Sure. So in in the U.S., I think what we see for filters are kind of they're smaller, maybe all in one units or you'll see a lot of pressure filters in both in Europe and the U.S. But I mean, when I first started with Owasa, the first thing that I started learning about was the filtration. And the first filter that I learned about were some of our um, uh, gravity filters and flow through filters like the Biotech and the Biosmart, which are these great big, huge filter units that I just couldn't understand at first, but then realized that this is the sort of thing that you need to put on your pond if you're going to have a large pond with a ton of large koi and ornamental fish that are really important to you. This is the kind of good filtration that you would want that really allows you to have a large bio load and still have healthy fish and good water quality. Oh, very cool. And so that's the biotech. I'm looking at that right now on your on your website. Um, I've never done ponds, and so this is a completely new space to me. But seeing all of this kind of different tech and knowing that indoor aquatics, you know, a lot of our technology we kind of take from water garden. Um, so it's really interesting to see something like this biotech. Now, does that actually have a pump built into it? No, you still need to have um, a pump that that flows the water through it. It does actually have a motor. Um, on it because it has a screen on top that allows you to separate out some coarse debris and it runs every couple of half hours to uh, empty all like the coarse debris whether it's plants or leaves or whatever into a basket tray so you can kind of get rid of that easily without it mucking up all your your filter your filter sponges yeah i see the sludge basket yeah (laughs) i feel like is sludge is that an awaza term or is that just like when you start stepping into the, the pond water garden space like sludge is just kind of the common terminology yeah, you you see you just see it a lot in uh, backyard ponds in general. Sludge becomes a very, very uh, efficient term. Yeah, I feel like we don't say sludge very much in the uh, <laughs> in the aquarium space, the indoor aquarium space. <laughs> no, you don't hear it as much with uh, with aquatics. All right, and so then let's go ahead and talk about the the indoor aquatics. Then, so Awaza has been uh, very prominent then in the water garden space. I mean, can you talk about the transition over into indoor aquatics? Sure, I guess just uh. I mean, we've, Owasa has been doing uh, water gardening for, I think we said now it's been around like 80 years that they've started since they started in Germany. Um, and we've been working with them for three years now. So they've had so much experience and background and, and backyard uh, water gardens and ponds that we thought it would also be nice to try and see if we can bring that German filtration and technology into into indoor aquatics and do it on a smaller scale with uh, with aquariums and tanks and and that's how we got here and we're pretty excited to to see how it continues and what the future holds. And so let's see let's let's call out a couple of the filters that you'd like to highlight so we can talk about the Bio Plus and the Bio Master. And now you know as people know, um, Awaza like I, I I've already said in the show Awaza is sponsoring the Aquarius podcast. So super happy again. We're not using Bob's used mattress outlet as the official sponsor of the show. We're using Awaza, which is fantastic. Um, and you guys have sent me a Bio Plus. You've sent me a Bio Master. I have those running in my fish room. I'm super satisfied with them. But I'd like you to be able to give your 
um, your thoughts on these products. So feel free to pick whichever one you'd like to first. Sure. Well, we can we can start with the the BioPlus since it's the the internal, then then work up from there. Yeah, and so internal filtration now, and this is again something that you and I also talked about in kind of the pre section of this of this episode. Um, we don't see much internal filtration in the U.S. market, like internal powered filtration. We're used to air driven sponge filtration. So I would say, you know, what are going to be the benefits of um, internal filtration in general, and then talk in specific about the BioPlus. Sure. Yeah, I I I really like the the BioPlus uh, for internal filtration. Um, the one of the biggest things is it's a discrete internal corner filter, so you can keep it pretty pretty easily uh, in your tank without disturbing your water views, which I think is is really important to anyone who's keeping a fish tank because obviously they want to see the fish and not the equipment. Mm-hmm. But it has amazing filter volume. Uh, it has an integrated diffuser on the inside, which is huge for internal filtration because it can really help. Uh, it'll help prevent biofilms from, from uh, forming on the top. It helps with aeration. It helps with stagnant and no oxygen zones. So I think it's a, I think it's a really cool internal filter, and I'm, I'm excited to, to hear what other people think about it. Yeah, and that the diffuser is definitely something that I don't think I've seen on other products. Like usually internal filters, it'll have kind of that overflow waterfall lip, or it'll just have the mm-hmm. one nozzle that points out, which the BioPlus does have the nozzle that you know just shoots out water, which is what it's supposed to do. Um, the diffuser now, in terms of installation, um, the diffuser ports should be above the water line, or kind of even with the water line like what's our thought yeah on you basically want it uh, just around or just under the water surface okay. for where the diffuser is okay and i think one of the cool things is that with the BioPlus, there's actually the option for heater integration yeah so um all of our filters actually which is one of our, our biggest points and we're really excited about all offer the the integrated heating so that's especially huge for internal filters because anyone who's doing internal filtration will also have to have Um, depending on their tank, but more times than not, they'll also have to have a heater in their tank. So with the BioPlus, it actually allows you to store the heater inside the filter. So that's just one less thing that you're seeing inside your tank. So it's nice to keep it kind of all compact and together. Yeah, that's definitely something that I liked. And you guys have sent me a a retrofit unit for one of the BioPluses so you can see how easy it is to actually integrate one of the Awaza heaters with the BioPlus unit. So I think that's cool. Um, one other, a couple of really nice features is so like we had said, it's, it's corner, corner mounted, um, suction cups, very strong. Once it's in place, it's probably not going anywhere. Um, and it took me, it, it was a little tricky at first. So I would say, you know, people read your manual or check out some videos of this particular mm-hmm. product, but, um, actually removing the, the body that houses the filter media. So the sponges is actually super simple. So it's, it's magnet, it's magnets, right? Like magnets are right. just holding yeah, it in place. Yeah, and once you get how how you you pull them apart, it's 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 really convenient and it's really nice. The fact that you can actually keep the the bulk of the filter inside the water when you're doing any sort of maintenance, because you can just in fact um, pull out the the front cover unit where the pump head stays in place, and then you can quickly do a filter change or whatever maintenance you need 
without having to unplug or, or really do anything extra to maintain your filter. Yeah, once once I realized that, it's like, oh, this is this is even better now. Like this is super cool that like you said, the bulk of the unit can stay in and then mm -hmm. you just you just pull out that other top body, if you will, that has the media for servicing. So very, very simple. Um, the other thing which we can talk about or I can call out with the Biomaster is the quiet operation. Like it's it's crazy how quiet the Awaza powered filters are. Um, and, and I guess just to wrap up the BioPlus line, there are three different models, the 50, the one, well, technically there's six, There's the but they come in the 50 size, the 100 size, and the 200 size. Um, yeah, and they're, so 15, 30, and 55 gallons is kind of that suitable maximum aquarium volume. And, and again, this is one of those things where like we talked about before, uh, horsepower, in your opinion, horsepower in terms of the number of times that you're actually turning over water in your aquarium isn't necessarily something that we should be basing our purchases on, right, when it comes to power filtration. Right. And that's, I mean, and that's with uh, Owasa filters in general. They do it with water gardening as well, where they actually, uh, they size their filters for, for bio loads. So the amount of fish or plants that you have in your, your backyard pond or even in your aquarium. So we're pretty conservative with our tank capacities because we're more concerned about making sure you have the right filtration and the right types of filtration um, for the for the bio loads that you have in whatever water body you're keeping, be it a backyard pond or a fish tank. Awesome. And so now let's talk about the Biomaster. Yeah, the Biomaster is a really cool item. Um, and I probably should have mentioned this with the uh, BioPlus as well, is all of our filters actually, they have the pump head in them. So there's not an additional pump needed or anything. The filter is an all-in-one uh, unit that can pump water through it. So that's also a really nice thing. It just cuts down on equipment. Yeah, definitely. But with the bio or with the uh, Biomaster, um, it's our largest canister filter. So it is an external filter and it has a ton of really cool features, um, including the integrated uh, heating that we saw with the BioPlus. Um, it has amazing filter volume um, for both coarse and fine filtration. Um, includes mechanical, biological, and chemical filtration. There's automated shutoff, so you don't have to worry about any water escaping when you're taking your filter out to do any maintenance or change a filter or whatever you need to do. You don't have to worry about uh, any water escaping because of the check valve. So there's some there's some really cool features. I had no idea that there was a check valve in it. <laughs> there sure is. <laughs> so I was just assuming that you would go up to the uh, the. Uh, input and output nozzles that are leading to and from the tank, you would turn those that flow off and then do your service. Yeah, so you can, with the shutoff and the automation, it actually comes down to those two blue tabs that you can uh, toggle left or right that's on the front of the Biomaster. So once you've turned those off, you can actually pull that entire, um, with the inlet and outlet adapters, you can pull that entire piece out. So that's all you need to do if you know, you can, you can pull that out and that holds the water and then you can take your whole filter out without having to worry about the water escaping. So now it comes down. That is even cooler. And for me, like that's something that, you know, to write down, like we need to make a video about that feature because clearly Randy has this filter and he didn't even realize that. So <laughs> not exactly like I'm the, the expert at reading manuals. Like that's not in my forte, but no, that's super cool to know. I think well, I'm glad we're going over it now. Then. One, one of the, 
really, really cool features that like in the canister filter market, to be completely honest, other brands are making really, really good canister filters. So for a new entrant to come in and be like, hey, look at us, we also have a really cool filter. It needs to raise the bar, right? In kind of multiple areas for people to break away from what they're already used to and to try a new product. And I think one of the cool things is the uh, the easy clean pre-filter module which you know any of us that have run canister filters kind of the one thing you dread with the canister filter is having to do the occasional service right like we know that we need to um i love seeing the funny posts that i comment you know sometimes online of you know all right i'm doing my annual five year or my my five year service on my canister filter and people take you know pictures of just how nasty it looks inside there but the easy clean pre-filter module so you basically take the primer module out and there's an inlet tube in there and around the inlet tube are sponge filters or sponge yep. sponges, right? Circular sponges yep. that completely enclose it. I think there's four or five on there. And so that's going to trap your initial large detritus. So you basically only have to service that portion on a more consistent basis. And that means that you don't have to rip apart your canister filter in the bathtub like we all do um, and use tank. Well, we said we all say we use tank water, but we're probably just using the actual tap water coming out of the, uh, the bathtub. Like, let's be real. Um, so you don't have to do that nearly as often as you would need to if you're doing this easy clean pre-filter module. So I think that is super cool. Right. The, the pre-filter is a huge thing and something that we've already heard a lot of positive feedback on. Um, not only, like you said, does it way cut down on just your, your regular filter maintenance and cleaning of the sponges, but it also really extends the, the lifespan of the, the rest of the sponges and foams that you have inside the rest of the filter so you can get a longer time and lifespan out of them. And like with the, uh, the BioPlus series, these also have the integrated heaters as well? Yes, the integrated uh, heaters are available with all of our filters. So we're really excited that we have the, the thermal options for the Biomaster as well. Yeah, and that's one of those things when, you know, people are talking about what kind of filtration on their new tank setup, especially the larger tanks. And, you know, when people point them towards a sump, you know, it's, hey, you can put your filter down, the, or your not your filter, but your uh, your heater down in the sump. That's one less thing to have in your tank, um, mm -hmm. in, your, in the display portion, if you will. And so having... Um, a canister filter that has that op that option as well. Again, just another really nice selling feature. Um, and I talked about it before, but just the quiet operation of this and friend of the show, Zenzo Tezawa, on his review of the Biomaster 600, he called this out as well. But the thing is so quiet. So I've got the 350 um, and I've got it running on one of my tanks and I actually had to like shake it. Like I had to put my hand on it and shake it because I didn't know if it was on or not. Like I think I had run it when I initially had it running for maybe a few days, I came back into the fish room and with other canister filters that I've run that are great product, you can, you typically hear the hum coming from them. But this thing, I couldn't, like I actually had to put my hand on the hoses so I could feel the water flowing through it to know that it was on. It's that quiet. Right. That's, that's something that was really important to us. And I know has always been one of the biggest complaints I've seen with aquarium products is just the sheer noise um, so there was, there was a lot to go into making sure that we were having the, the lowest decibel and, uh, sound levels that we, that we could. So I'm glad that that is something that people are seeing so quickly. 
<laughs> it is, but it's almost like, is it on, right? Like you have to touch <laughs> it to make sure it's such a great feature, but at the same time, it's like, is it on? Like I'm used to like a loud rattling from my hang on back or, you know, a rattling from a canister filter, um, or constantly hearing kind of the, you know, granted you should purge the air out of the system, but sometimes you hear that air noise, but with this thing, it's just so quiet, which, um, you know, especially if it's going to be in a bedroom, like I, I have it in a fish room. Um, so not as big of a deal, but if you have it in a bedroom or a living space, you know, having that extra, um, you know, quiet filter filtration system is, is a big plus. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's exciting. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you like it. <laughs> and I think the last kind of filter, um, you know, water quality product to talk about, because I do want to talk about the Biorb as well, um, is the Cleartronic. So UV clarifier, I want you to just kind of talk to me like I'm a fourth grader, which sometimes I, I, I am. Um, what, why would somebody want a UV clarifier? Uh, a UV clarifier just really helps with the, the overall uh, water quality and water clarity that is in your fish tank. And it's also used in UV filtration is also used in, in water garden as well. I think it's much newer to kind of the aquarium industry, but I am starting to see it more and more and people do seem to be starting to respond to it more. So it was important and to us that we also had a, a UV option for to include in our product line. And so what would be some questions for a home aquarist that would, you know, if you're back in your customer service role or even as a rep, you know, somebody is, is saying, you know, two or three things that are, that are happening with their tank that would lead you to recommend a UV sterilizer. Yeah, if, if people are seeing um, poor fish health, cloudiness, excessive algae, um, anything like that, then that's usually when, besides recommending a water change and, and asking a few other things, I always find that filtration, and that includes UV filtration, is the is the best thing to recommend. Um, so that's when I would usually uh, ask that someone tries uh, UV for their fish tank. And usually the best thing, the best way to set them up is sometimes they'll have... Um, flow controls or just a, an automated bypass to help slow down the water because you actually want the water moving um, as slowly as you as, as you can through the UV because the UV has a better effect um, on the water if it's if it's moving slower so it can have more time being affected by the actual UV spectrum that really helps with the, the bacteria and the cloudiness of the water. Interesting. Now, would you ever want to see the hobby move in the direction where a UV sterilizer is just something that's consistently used like it's kind of just an initial piece of equipment when it comes to new tank setup or is it you know or is that too much of a shotgun approach initially i don't i don't think that it would it would be an issue to to have integrated uv options and i, and I have seen them out there on the on the market before i think for the most part especially if people are new to the aquariums, though they're just kind of buying it as an added feature, but they don't necessarily know what it's actually doing for their tank. And I think what it does do for the tank is, is really important as far as, as uh, water quality and clarity and fish health. So I, I think they're a good product to have. Oh, interesting. Very cool. All right. And so let's pivot and let's talk about BioOrb. So what can you tell us about if no, if somebody's, I feel like everybody has seen a BioOrb. Um, but maybe we don't know like the backstory or kind of what is, you know, all about the Biorb. Sure. So we have Biorb. It's our, uh, it's our tanks in our Biorb line and we have uh, quite a different, quite a different amount of tanks, colors and sizes for you to choose. Um, but they're nice cause they're really contemporary and modern looking, uh, designs. And I think people really respond to that more than, more than anything else is they're just kind of something that 
looks a little different, looks a little new, and 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 people like that. Yeah, and some of them are so like the tube design is obviously going to be tubular, like a cylinder. Um, you've got the flow, which looks a little bit more square. Um, the mm -hmm. life has more of a, a vertical rectangle look to it. Um, and then you've got, I think, what's what a lot of us are used to seeing is the classic. Right. The the classics and the halos are probably the the most popular, and those are the ones that look like actual orbs. Uh, or, or the bowls that you're used to seeing. And then from a size perspective, it looks like, oh man, we're going to have to do the, uh, the, the conversion from metric to, uh, to gallons here. So you've got a, uh, 15, <laughs> so you go 15, 30, 60 and 105 in liters. And so yeah. So that's like four, uh, eight, 16 and, and 28. Yes. 28, 30, somewhere around there. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think the 105 is 28 gallons. Yeah, look at me trying to challenge you on metric to, <laughs> to standard conversions here. Who do I think I am? <laughs> Science, so, I've learned metric. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So definitely very cool. Um, I mean, what what else are your thoughts on the BioOrb line? Like, you know, having this kind of cylindrical tank. Um, are there any? You know, would you say there's any pros, or is it just going to be kind of an aesthetic? Just give your give your living room or your fish room a different appeal, I guess. I think the the biggest thing for people is the aesthetic, just that it's something looking, it's streamlined, it's it gives you a different view of your fish than you're used to. I know some people get worried about kind of the bowl looking aspect of things, but the one really nice thing about Biorb is that it's all acrylic. And so it's different than glass because the main issue with glass bowls is that glass really distorts and that can be detrimental to fish health. But with acrylic, there's no distortion and the fish don't react negatively to it like they would in, in a distorted glass bowl. Yeah, and my last, last question for you on the BioOrb line, at least the classic, is how does filtration work on that thing? So the it's a bottom filter and it's a small sponge with also for just uh, mechanical filtration. We also include uh, biological bacteria and then there's also some uh, chemical media down in there for uh, carbon and a couple different other types of chemical media that just help uh, with the, the water quality. And the basic idea behind it is it's a uh, maintenance setup. So depending on what size you have and what fish you have, but you replace your filter cartridge maybe once every four to six weeks. I feel like Owaza needs to do a bioorb aquascaping competition. Biorb I would I would love to see what some of these guys that are so used to working with squares and rectangles what they could do with this thing. <laughs> yeah, it would, it it would it would be pretty cool to see some aquascaping inside one of the biorbs because it's definitely I don't think it's a a media that they're used to aquascaping very often. You can have that idea free of charge, Caitlin. You take that up to <laughs> you take that up to the Awaza marketing team and you say this, <laughs> this is what I want to do at uh, America's Pet Expo or whatever one of the next consumer shows is and have a biorb competition. I yeah, think some I think of the aquascaping I saw at the at the last show was was pretty amazing. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing that again. Yeah, I mean especially in this, you know, the, the spherical design, like what what can they do? Let their creativity run free. Um, you know, it, I I think there's going to be maybe potentially a lot of focus right on that that center kind of column. Um, which is how I, I've seen a lot of pictures of the of the biorb presented. You know, there there's mm -hmm. like a, a heavy center um, design. So I don't know, like who who knows what they would do. Eh, I think it'd be pretty awesome. Um, and so the last thing I'd want I want you to talk about in the biorb line is the airline. So it, the terrarium. Sure. Yeah. So we have our uh, our biorb air, um, which looks 
pretty much like one of our halo fish tanks would, except it's specifically for terrarium and land only use. You don't put any water in it. Um, and essentially you can, it comes with a compost brick and then you can plant it in any way that your heart desires. And we have a few different um, settings that help you keep different types of environments or plant setups inside the air. Um, so you can adjust the humidity and the fan settings. Uh, there's also a water reservoir under the tank that allows you to kind of have a steady humidity setting, especially if you're going to have uh, like a small animal inside or something, or if you're going to have a really tropical plant environment, then you want high humidity. Yeah. And so this is, I mean, it's close to ready to run out, you know, fresh out of the box to get an actual like humid, proper environment set up, right? Like that's one of the challenges yeah. I hear. Outside of, outside of the, the plants that you'd have to go get to set it up, it is ready to go. Yeah, I mean, the, one of the challenges I hear of venturing into dart frog territory or, you know, any terrarium is always around humidity, right? And so, mm -hmm. you know, having a, a fully enclosed system that, you know, takes that whole aspect out of keeping a terrarium, um, I mean, it's it's easy mode, right? People are like, Randy, stop sounding lazy. But, I mean, we like <laughs> easy mode, right? Easy mode's great. Yeah, very cool. So I would highly encourage people to check out the BioOrb Classic, the BioOrb Air, or just the full line of BioOrb, um, as well as the rest of Awaz's catalog of indoor aquatics and also water gardening. Like in the event that you haven't heard about it, I'm, from me talking to people that are in the pond space, like they do know about Awaza. Um, so that's not a big surprise for them. But anybody in the indoor aquatics with, you know, we're in the wintertime right now, if you're thinking about building out a koi pond or some type of a water garden feature, check out Awaza's products there. Um, now, Caitlin, for 2019, so happy new year i should have said that at the very beginning of the episode um, <laughs> any, any any kind of exciting plans for awaza like any new products that you can kind of tease or we just have to stay posted to your social media and and, uh, and website i think that's probably the best thing to do is just uh keep everyone on their toes watch the social media and the website where i mean we're always continuing to expand and that's with all our lines with water gardening indoor aquatics and bioorb uh, we will start to see some some new products coming out this year. I don't think you're going to have to wait too long, but we already do have uh, the thermo versions here for all of our aquatics, and we're looking forward to uh, to keep expanding from there. Awesome, and I'll have links in the show notes. But can you let me know like which uh, what places should people be able to find Awaza? Uh, with Awaza, the one of the easiest ways if you're if you're listening to this podcast is you can go on to our website and we have our store site right on our website where you can buy any Owasa products and that includes water gardening, uh, bioorb, and indoor aquatics directly from our store site. And then Owasa also does have uh, you guys you have the social media presence too so Instagram, YouTube. Um, I think you've got a Facebook page. I think I've started linking that in the just the general yeah, show do. notes. We're, okay. We're trying to keep with the millennials, so we <laughs> we have we've got all the social media across all the the social media avenues. Ah, very cool. So, Caitlin, thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about your very exciting educational and professional experience and, you know, just kind of the living the dream journey that you've been on. I mean, you've done so many really cool things, um, you know, and, and you have some major, major street cred now that, you you know, you're working for um, an aquatics company selling to a consumer market. And it's not like you're just somebody that they picked up off the street with a marketing degree. Like you have some serious, serious street cred. Um, and I think that's really cool that you're a part of the Awaza team and you can bring that experience and, and have brought that experience. And, you know, thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.